Letter 29 of Letters from Hell. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Letters from Hell by Valdemar Adolf Thisted. Translated by L. W. J. S. Letter 29. Gigantic structures in earth's parlance may mean the pyramids, or the great works of Babylon and Nineveh, or some Chinese wall of later date. I have not seen any of these wonders, or their ruins either, but I venture to assert that their importance dwindles into nothing. By the side of the growing edifice called the City of Politicians here, and that fabric is raised in a single day meaning the space between one hell night and another. I call it a day. It may be months, years, I know not. City, let me tell you, is an inappropriate term, since, although a dwelling place of many, it is but a single mass, ever added to, but never finished. Between one darkness and another, it reaches colossal dimensions, to break down at last in a heap of shapeless ruin. Night puts a stop to the work, which is begun afresh with every succeeding dawn, yet not quite afresh, the foundations being the same once for all. Indeed, it is they which cause the ever-recurring downfall, for, extensive as they are, covering an area of unlimited vastness, they are hopelessly rotten. Who laid them is a mystery, if one may guess, it must have been Satan himself. But, however that may be, those foundations have survived through ages of superstructure and ruin. There are passages through them in all directions, and holes where the workers dwell, something like the catacombs. The city then rises on this base. All the statesmen in hell have duty here as master builders. And of workmen there is no lack. Millions there are, hell continually disgorging them on the spot, and like bees, they bring their building materials with them, working together in virtue of a common instinct like those insects. You have heard it said of this man or of that, that his conscience is turned to a stone. Now this is no mere figure of speech. Such sayings embody an awful truth. It is a terrible thing, my friend, to have a stone where the conscience ought to be, every deceitful act, every deed of injustice or want of mercy, helps to petrify your conscience, and some people's hearts are so deadened that every righteous feeling has been displaced by a stone of that kind. No one is free from these dead weights, no one who comes hither, at least, and some drag such loads about with them that the marvel is they continue alive. Now this city is built of such stones. Some souls there are whose one occupation it is to free the hearts of the petrifying load. Free? But it is hopeless trying. And though stones upon stones be added to the rising structure, the stony heart cannot here be changed. One finds this out by experience only. But some there are, so loaded with injustice, and so anxious to get rid of it, 
that no experience will convince them. The head and cornerstones are furnished by the master builders, the former experts in statesmanship. It is simply astounding to behold the overwhelming weights produced by men of their antecedents. Indeed, one requires the insight obtained here in order to form an idea as to the extent of treachery, injustice, and subtle craft they were capable of in the days of their earthly life. Among them are to be found the greatest wrongdoers the world ever produced. No one has a more unlimited scope for evil than statesmen, not excepting kings, and their responsibility is awful, for a man might be born heir to some crown and could not help it. But no man can be a statesman without of his own free will undertaking a ruler's duties. They knew what they engaged in and have no excuse. The welfare of millions was in their hand, the power of blessing or cursing. And how did they use it? Look at history. Nay, examine the present time. They seem to believe, these men, that in the interest of politics, as they call it, any amount of evil-doing will pass. Justice? It is an empty sound. The welfare of nations? The power of the state is more than that. They believe themselves exempt from all laws, moral or divine, imagining God, if he judges them at all, will judge them according to some special standard of right and wrong. Treacherous dealings, tyranny, and armed force were their chief ideas of governing. No matter how many unknown subjects might suffer cruel hardship, and behold, the world's perversity judges them by the glittering tinsel of success, calling him greatest who outmaneuvers all others in perfidy. Diplomacy is the current expression. But things are called by their true name here. It is quite apparent in hell that some of the greatest crimes earth ever witnessed were committed in behalf of the so-called higher arts of diplomacy and that some of the greatest delinquents are to be found among the starred and gartered office-bearers, who are the right hand of kings. But the chief duty of these master-builders consists in seeing the profusion of material, their own and that of others, properly disposed. This offers real difficulty, for each of these ex-statesmen very naturally has his own plan to go by. No two of them ever agree even though they should find themselves stationed side by side. But sometimes they are separated, say a hundred miles from one another. Imagine, then, the circumference of the city, and try to imagine these statesmen, one here, one there, building away, heedless of each other. This is the reason why the state is never accomplished. I say state, for the latent idea is to form a state and when it is finished, to choose a king. There are numbers of landless sovereigns loafing about the outskirts of the city, dreadfully anxious to be chosen. I have spoken of these miserable crown-bearers in a former letter. Our statesmen are sufficiently aware of the difficulty of their undertaking. They are forever sending dispatches in all directions, now cajoling, now threatening, as they hope to gain their end and their ambassadors creep about from one court, 
I mean building station, to another, but no amount of diplomatic perfidy avails, and nothing remains but to call a congress at last. But since there is no neutral ground in all the city itself, they fix upon a certain mud island in the Black River which laves the base of this building ground. In order to gain that island, they have no choice but to try the experiment of swimming. Now one would imagine our noble diplomatists to be very loath to let the filthy water touch their august persons. But far from it, they like it. You remember that the Black River is fed by all the refuse of injustice and falsehood oozing down from the world. It is quite a sight, I assure you, to see them sprawling in the horrible water. They have reached their own element, it is plain. And like a set of schoolboys in a mill pond, they flounder about quite lustily. No sooner are they landed, however, than behold our dignified statesmen. The Congress is inaugurated with due solemnity, each plenipotentiary falling into his place with singular adroitness, and agreeing with peculiar suavity that a common plan of action must be arrived at. But their unanimity stops. Innumerable proposals are made and rejected. Mutual jealousy rendering concord impossible. One motion presently meets with acceptance. Let each representative try and work out his part towards the general aim. Great hopes are aired, and the result is truly ridiculous. The completed scheme proves the most deplorable farrago, but no one is prepared to give up his individual position, and the end is confusion. Vainly the most impressive speeches are delivered about the incomparable benefits of simple honesty in politics about the infernal balance of power, without which the greatest revolutions and most hopeless complications are to be dreaded, about the eternal laws of the nature of things, about the duties of politics in a beneficent sense, and the moral power of the ruling creed in modern times, which brands with infamy mere brutal force, about the high state of culture arrived at in this nineteenth century, which alone ought to govern all social questions, about principles of actions which should not be set aside even in hell, about sacred rights which must be upheld at any sacrifice. In short, no parliament on earth could develop greater bombast than a meeting of ex-politicians here. But result there is none, and nothing remains but to raise the Congress. Before separating, however, there is the usual exchange of compliments, a profusion of gratitude for mutual helpfulness and invaluable assistance in unraveling difficult points. The Congress, in fact, is pronounced a success. The trumpets are sounded, and newspapers sing paeans to the deep penetration, the rare discernment, and ingenious sagacity of the great leaders in whom was vested the confidence of nations. The plenipotentiaries, duly elated, retire with amiable expressions of friendly feeling on behalf of their respective cabinets, which, however, does not prevent them, in swimming back, from casting up the muddy waters against each other. So much for the Congress. And the building continues, 
Time passes. It is long since the radiance of paradise has last been seen. Light is ebbing away. But they build and build out of their own stony hearts and consciences. The structure arises, an informal mass. The higher it reaches, the plainer becomes the fact that it cannot stand. They have just about attained the crowning cupola, which is achieved by dint of innumerable strokes of policy. When, behold, the towering structure collapses with a thundering crash, heard in the farthermost regions of hell, each stone is flying back to its owner, and cries of despair die away in a common wail. Nothing remains but the gigantic foundation. The builders have fled in horror, leaving the abject kings cowering in misery, like Marius of old on the ruins of Carthage. It is night, and hell is overwhelmed with the stillness of death, the terrors of darkness ever and anon being broken by the wailings of desolate kings. End of Letter 29 Thank you for listening, and if you like this, please subscribe and consider liking my Facebook page and joining my group, Jesus Answers Prayer. May God bless your day.